It is the month of Shvat, and Rabbi Botner told me that this month it's going to be extra intricate. As you know, we've been doing this monthly podcast now for, I guess, three, four months now. And it's already super intricate every month. My friend Al told me, he says, most of the times, Rabbi Walby, when I listen to your podcast, I could be doing the dishes, I could be doing my commute, I can be in the gym. But whenever you bring on Rabbi Botnik, I got to give full concentration, both ears and all my intellect, I got to focus. I've had friends who told me that whenever a Botnik comes, I know I got to listen to it at least twice. That's most months. This month, it's extra intricate, and I'm really looking forward to hear what he has to say. I did get some notes ahead of time. Ahead of time means like a half hour ahead of time. And I did peruse them. It looks really super interesting. And I'm really excited to uh, to discuss the month of Shvat with Rabbi Botnik. Now, we're a bit late this month. This past Monday was Rosh Chodesh, was the beginning of the month. Rabbi Botnik was, was traveling on a, a super secret project that I'm certainly not at liberty to talk about, but that's why we're late. Maybe next month we'll do it on time. Rabbi Botnik, it's great to have you back on the podcast, and I'm really looking forward to hearing your wizardry and mastery on the month of Shvat. Well, thank you, Rabbi Wolby. So I, I will admit that I wasn't really traveling. I was just trying to come up with an excuse as to why I wasn't giving the, the Shvat share. And the real reason was because I just couldn't figure out what to say. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I, okay, I'll give you this. I was traveling, but I really did struggle um, this month, maybe specifically because I was on the road. But it is a tough, it is a tough month. I mean, I know we all know about Tu B'Shvat. As it happens, this year is really not going to focus much on Tu B'Shvat or on fruit at all unless you could somehow figure out how to fit that in. When I say intricate, I, I think that's just a code word for convoluted, perhaps. <laughs> I, I am, what, I, what, I'm, what I'm getting at here, it will be, is that I, I really am going to need your help and your wisdom in trying to piece this together. So this is going to be something of a team effort. Are we Well, are we it's great because whenever we're recording, my, my IQ drops several uh, standard deviations <laughs> and all my clever insights just they just appear right after we stop recording so i hope it could be of help okay so let's be in the month of shvat what do we know about the month of shvat okay so let's jump right into it so as always we like to identify the various qualities and personalities that are associated with the month so the zodiac sign uh the mazel of shvat is a dali which is a pale Okay. Again, that, that actually that something will... you use to draw water from a well. Yes. Okay. So that's actually not going to be the the crux of of the focus of this year, um, which is unusual. Usually, we do focus much on the mazel. This time, I'd rather put more emphasis on the tribe. So the tribe that is associated with the month of Shvat is Usher. Okay. So Usher is the tenth of the twelve tribes. In a sense, it's really the final tribe because the next two are, are like the Bnei Rachel, Yosef and Benjamin, are something in a category of their own. But leading leading up to those, it, it ends, it culminates with Usher. So we have 12 months, 12 sons of Jacob, 
12 tribes. Each one is associated with a different month. And the month of Shvat is associated with Asher, with Usher, which is the, the 10th and on one dimension, the last of the children because Joseph and Benjamin are in a class of their own. Okay. Okay, now, every month has its letter. I think we've touched on that previously. And I think what we never did touch on is that every month, I think, at least most months, have like a specific mida, a specific, I don't know, how would you translate that word? A, a, a trait, character, a, a trait, yeah. A character, that's the right word, a character. Um, I don't think we've discussed maybe. it. Okay, so I don't think we've discussed this in previous shurim, but um, it's always listed, and it's always listed together with the letter. So in this instance, the letter of the month is a tzadi, all right, a tzadi. And the characteristic of the month is le'ita. Okay, Rabbi Wally, can you translate the word le'ita? Uh, is it uh, like guzzling? All right, so it, yeah, it's something like that, but I really wouldn't hold it against you if you couldn't translate it because that word, the root word, shows up only once in all of the Torah. And Rabbi Wolby, I would venture to say that you do know where it shows up. I know this because I think on one of your podcasts... You discussed this. Do you even remember which yes, one? Yes, yes, I remember. It was uh, a favorite of mine. So the word li'ita appears when Jacob is making a special lentil soup, and Asaph comes, and he's hungry, and he's famished, and they strike the most lopsided transaction in the history of transactions, where Jacob receives the, the birthright from Asaph, and Asaph gets some special red-red soup, lentil soup, and uh, Jacob also gives him some bread, as we know. And when when Esav requests the food, he wants it to be poured down his throat in the manner of the feeding of camels, Rashi tells us. And the, the word that it uses is halitemi, which means feed me like a camel by pouring the food down my throat. Excellent, right. So and somehow this, is, this is associated with the month of Shvat. Exactly. And, and yeah, I'm just saying that the Ebenezer does point out there that, that this appears nowhere else in the Torah. So I wouldn't know that, but I'm going to trust the Ebenezer on that one. So it's just so bizarre that the month of Shvat is like associated with this like concept that barely exists. The only place it does exist is in the world of Esau guzzling down red, red soup. And like that's Shvat. So go figure. Uh, but but the words of the Sefer Tzira, which introduces this concept, says, Himlech os tzadi bil-le'ita. So the letter tzadi comes together with this le'ita, comes together with this guzzling, and, and together they formulate the, the underlying character of the month of Shvat. So this is all super cryptic, super mystical. So very strange. We have a verb that appears once in all of the Torah, I don't know if it's all of Scripture, but all of the Torah, and it's associated with the letter Tzadik, and somehow that has to do with the present month, the month of Shvat. And somehow has to do with the tribe of Asher. Yes. And a pale, a delete. Okay, and now, so the next thing we're going to focus on is the Shem Havaya. We discussed this, I think, last month, which is that there are... Okay, so in, in God's ineffable name, there is four letters. There's a Yud, followed by a He, followed by a Vav, followed by a He. There's 12 months. Each month has its own arrange, arrangement of those letters. Each arrangement is hinted to in a specific verse. 
So in this case, the arrangement of the letters Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey are going to be, I say the rearrangement of those letters will be Hey, Yud, Vav, Hey. Okay, you got that? Hey, Yud, Vav, Hey. Okay, so the, the tetragrammaton, the four-letter ineffable name of God, those letters can be arranged, and we've seen this in the past, and it's not starting with the Yud, and then the hey, it's instead the hey, and then the yud, and then the vav, and then the hey. That's the arrangement. That's the setup of these letters. That's the name of God, so to speak, that corresponds to this month. Got it. Yeah. Okay, now where do those letters appear? Now, I, I want to just make this clear that you could probably find this arrangement in, in many different places. But the, Arizal is the one who points all of this out. And he directs you to the to the verse that he feels is the most appropriate to be alluding to the secret of, of Shvat. Being that it's coming from the Arizal, you can assume that at first glance, you're not really going to understand how and why this has anything to do with Shvat. But it's always fun to try and explore. So the verse he pulls it out of is all the way at the end of Parshas Bechu Kosai, right? The tail end of Chomesh Vayikra, right? Right before the Chazak Chazak. And the, the verse is teaching us about a sin, okay, one of the 365 losas, which tells us that if, okay, so there's really two, okay, there's, there's really two ways that this losas could manifest. Either if you, uh, if you sanctify an, an animal for a carbon, you are not allowed to go ahead and try to transition that sanctity, that status of, of Kedusha, to a different animal. Okay, that's called Tamura. You're not allowed to do it. That's one manifestation. The other way this could work is by something called Meiser Behema. Okay, Meiser Behema. Meiser you know, is, so like, is like tithing, right? The Meiser is one-tenth it's tithing. Right? Meiser is tithing, exactly. And, and we're more familiar with tithing of fruits, um, be, be partially because that's relevant even today in, in grain, Eretz Yisrael. Right? Like in Eretz Yisrael, they, they do this. Um, right? In Eretz Yisrael, the job of a mashkiach in a restaurant or in a, a kosher or in an industrial factory, right, is 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 just much more complex because he has this whole added level. He has to make sure all the tithing, uh, and that's completely irrelevant in the diaspora, unless they import uh, grain or uh, or vegetables or something like that from Israel. Exactly right. Uh, either way, but there there is another form of miser of tithing, and that is for animals. And the way it works is, I don't, I'm, I, I'm not going to all the halachas right now. It's just a very basic. Overview is you count ten animals that leave. They have to just like you line them up. You go one, two, three, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and then the tenth is is kodesh, and you have to bring it as a carbon. Let's unpack this. There's a concept of tithing, which means of the variety of things that you have. Every tenth you give to God and His emissaries, and that applies with your your grains and your vegetation, even your money. 10% tithing, but now your animals, you, your flock grows, your sheep grow, and every year you take the 10th, every 10th every animal, and that gets designated for heaven on high. That's right. Exactly. So on that commandment, there's a follow-up, uh, there is a follow-up losase, okay, so that was a mitzvah, now there is a losase, a negative commandment, which says, you cannot try to transition that Kedusha away to a different animal. In other words, that tenth is that tenth animal, the Kedusha is definite, and it can never be traded off to another animal. 
Now, if you do it, isn't the way this is described? You put all the animals in a pen, and then you open up a small door, and then every tenth animal comes, you hit it with the big red uh, paint, so you know it's designated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, I think so. I mean, I didn't I didn't do a deep dive into these halachos, so I, I'm not so. Familiar you don't think that the, the red moment, paint but, has something to do with the red, 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 red lentil soup? Oh, well, now you're getting really deep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe one day we'll do a share on this. It could be, or it will be. I, I have I have nothing to comment on that. It sounds cool. Um, definitely sounds like something we can work with. Either way, what is relevant is that it's a very interesting halacha. So. It's it's like a conundrum. So what happens is like this. If you do it, it works. Meaning, if you transition this Kedusha away, you say, you know, animal number 10 has Kedusha. I don't want it to have Kedusha. I want to keep it for myself. I'd rather have this skimpy other little animal have the Kedusha. That way, that's the one I'll have to sacrifice as opposed to the strong and healthy one. If you try to do that, here's what's going to happen. The skimpy little animal will become Kadosh. But the previous one will remain Kadosh. Meaning what you did was completely ineffective in the sense that you, you gained nothing, you only lost. You understand? You yeah, now lost both animals. So you're saying like this. If I have to give every tenth animal to God, there is an incentive for me to find the most frail, most fragile, most sickly, most weak-looking animal and let that one be the sacrifice. That's my incentive. But what if my robust Betsy is now the sacrifice? Uh, then I'm I'm motivated to try to transfer that. But if you try to transfer, it doesn't really work, and it actually is counterproductive because both the original animal retains its sanctity, and the new one now is also uh, uh, is also sanctified. Exactly. Plus, you also did an avera in the process. Avera means a transgression. A transgression. So that is what the uh, the verse is telling us. Now, in that verse, this is what it says. I'm going to read you the whole verse. Or maybe not the whole thing, but but the first part of it, which is relevant. Lo yivakar bein tov lo yimirenu. You should not distinguish. Is that how you translate the word yivakar? Yeah, discern, distinguish. Yeah, discern, discern between good and evil, good and bad. Velo yimirenu, you should not transfer. Ve'im hamer yimirenu, but if you did transfer, v'hayahu utzmaraso yekodesh. So it and the the other one, the transitioned one, will both be kodesh. You understand? That's basically what we just said. Don't try to pull the stick. If you do try to pull the stick, it will backfire and you will end up having two Kodesh animals instead of one. On the, the, Part of those words, four of those words say, The first letter of each word is hey, then yod, then avav, then a hey. And that is the letters that together make up the formula for the month of Shvat. Really, really strange. Really mysterious. So Shvat is, it's a, it's a pale, it's guzzling, it's the letter Tzadi, it's the tribe of Usher, and it is something to do with the transgression of switching the Kedusha from one animal to the next. Okay, help us, uh, help us uh, decipher this, help us understand what is going on over here. Okay, I'm going to do my part, but you're going to have to help me out, because like I said, I, I, I was grappling with this. Um, all right, so let's start with Usher. It's always interesting to del- to do a deep dive into the, the tribes because there's a few that we know a whole bunch about, like Yosef and Binyamin, and um, we spoke about Dun last week. Then there are these the others that, like, they've got to be significant because they make up a twelfth of our entire nation, but we don't really know that much about them. 
Uh, and Usher's one of those, right? We don't really have that many Gemaras or that many Zohars that, that talk all about Usher. But let's see what we can find out. So when Usher is born, why is he given the name Usher? So the uh, I don't remember the verse by heart, but it says something to the effect, um, Ki Ishruni Banos. That Leah says, Leah, who's, who is not really the mother, how would you refer to Leah in relation to Usher? She's the She's like the stepmom, the surrogate the mom in a sense. Non-surrogate surrogate mom. mom of Usher. Adopted mom. Because Usher is born to, to Zilpah, who's uh, Leah's maidservant. But when she's born, she says, Ki ishruni banos, the, the women will, will praise me, something like that. So therefore he gets the name Usher. Ellie Wilby's looking up the verse. Yeah, I'm looking it up. We should have done this ahead of time, of course. <laughs> I think our uh, our listeners are going to be bummed by this. Nah, they're good. So when Asher is born, this is in chapter 30 of Genesis, verse 13. It is translated as follows. For women have deemed me fortunate. So she called his name Asher. So Usher means right. uh, fortunate, okay. and uh, Leah said that now women have deemed her fortunate. That's how Art Scroll translates it. All right. Now, Tagamionis and Ben Uziel writes as follows. So Tagamionis and Ben Uziel always takes you beyond the text. So he's not just a, a direct translation. He's always telling you, you know, some of the inner secrets of what the verse is telling you. So he says as follows, V'amrus Leah. Leah said, Tushbachto havisli. I I have been praised. Arum shabachuli benas Yisrael. Okay, we'll just get to the main point. V'heichten asidin benoi l'shabacha kodem Hashem al-tav peiri ar-ahim. The children of Usher will, in the future, give praise to God for the good fruit of their land. Ukras Yashmei Usher, and she called him Usher. Okay? So here's what he's saying. This is what he's reading into the verse. Usher is called Usher because, right, the word Usher means praise, right? Ashrei Yoshei Usher means praise. And the, the children of Usher, the tribe of Usher, will give praise to God over the good fruit of their land. Very interesting, but let's not stop there. Let's just keep going for a second. Later on in the Chomish Bereshit, so that was in Parshat Vayetze, later on in when all of the tribes get their blessing from Yaakov. So Yaakov says to Asher, May Asher From Asher will come uh, a rich bread. Shmena means, means oily. From the word uh, shamein, means fat bread, rich bread. And again, on those words, the Tagamayon says, Moda umeshabach alehen, They will give praise over their bread or, or their fruit before God. So again, we see this theme twice about Usher, that he praises God over his food. Now, the question I want to focus on is, is as follows. I mean, the idea of praising God over food is not unfamiliar to us. Um, we all are, are instructed to do so either beforehand, not either, both before we eat and after we eat, we bless God for the food that he gave us. So, it's hard to understand what exactly it is that Usher is doing that nobody else does. They praise God for their food. Don't we all praise God for our food? Isn't it a mitzvah de oraisa 
a biblical commandment of that if you eat bread, you have to praise God. So what is it that Usher is doing that we don't do? Are these legitimate questions? Rabbi yeah, I, it's it's fantastic questions. So we, it's obviously not an ancillary point about Asher. You know, the two times we're told about him in Genesis, he, he doesn't get the same treatment that I don't know Judah or Joseph get, even Benjamin. He's one of the twelve sons, and what what we are told about him is basically all we know. And it highlights twice when he's born and when Jacob on his deathbed conveys confers a blessing upon him. In both instances, we're highlighting the fact that they're going to have you know, robust uh, produce in their land, and they're going to praise God for that. And you're asking, if I understand correctly, you're asking that, well, that's what all Jews do, and wh- why is that distinct to the tribe of Asher? Yeah. Okay, so now let's do some a little bit more exploring about Asher. The other time he appears is in all the way at the end of the Torah, where all the tribes once again appear, and that is when Moshe blesses them, right? So Yaakov blesses them in Vayechi, and then Moshe blesses them in Vizosa Bracha. And Rabbi Wilby, for your Parsha podcast, I guess, in Vizosa Bracha, it's very fascinating to see how these these two sets of brachos line up directly with each other. It's, it's really a continuation. Each one of Moshe's brachos to the tribes is like a... It's like the epilogue to... To the to Yaakov's brachos. Anyways, um, you could kind of see it here with Usher. So this is what he says: Ula Asher Omar to Usher. He said, Moshe said, Baruch mi banim Asher. Blessed are you from your children, Asher. Yehi Ritzoi Achav v'Tovel b'Shem Ragu. He should be uh, beloved or, or something. Ritzoi. He should be accepted by his brothers. V'Tovel b'Shem Ragu, and his foot should immerse in oil. Very, very interesting. What I, what I mean by saying that you could see the connection between this blessing and the one that Yaakov gave is because you see the Shemin reference, right? Over there, when Yaakov gave the bracha, it said, Asher Shemin al-Achmo. It should be oily. And here again, you see the oil theme coming up. Um, a few things. Rashi says here, Baruch mi banim Asher. Blessed uh, are you from your children, Asher. Rashi says that, I, he says, Ra'isi b'sifri. I saw in the Sifri, Nobody of all the Shvatim, there is no one of the Shvatim that had such wonderful children as Usher did. And then Rashi concludes very, very uncharacteristically, I don't know how. There's like a few times that Rashi says, I don't know. Like maybe like three or four times in all of Chumash. This is one of them. It's just fascinating. Like here we have this usher who, like, like, like we mentioned, he seems to be just kind of in the background, and here he has this whopper of a blessing that his children are the best of all the other children. That's not a small thing at all, but that that seems to be what usher gets. The next thing, and, we, and find, we don't do we know any of his descendants that were standouts that were remarkable? Well, we know that he has this daughter Sarah Bas Usher, who is who is a fascinating figure. She comes up a few times in throughout Shas. It's a it's a shir unto itself. Who who Sarah Bas Usher was? It says that she went to Gan Eden, um, it, alive, whatever that means. Meaning like she she like kind of skirted the whole death process. Fascinating person. Anyways, then on the next words, Yehi Ritzoy Echov, he will be wanted, accepted by his brothers. Rashi says, His daughters were beautiful. 
Okay, just keep that. Okay, really cool. His daughters were beautiful. The, the daughters of Usher were, were exceptionally naos, exceptionally beautiful. And they married Kohanim Gedolim. That were, right, as Kohanim Gedolim, as we know, are anointed with Shem and Zayis. So how, that's how Rashi learns the verse. Yehi Ritzoy Achav. He's beloved by his brothers, meaning his brothers, I guess, the Kohanim Gedolim, who come from Shevet Levi, have this attraction to Shevet Usher. They, they marry his daughters. The Raglo, and therefore he gets oil because the Kohanim Gedolim are all anointed with oil. Very interesting things that we are finding out about Usher is that he has a very, very, you know, probably the most wonderful blessing any person can ask for. He has amazing children. His children are, as Rashi says, his sons are the best of all of all the other tribes. His daughters marry Kohanim Gedolim which is like the most prestigious position you can have. Uh, and that's the blessing that Usher gets. And we're going to try to understand why. What, what is it about Usher that he gets uh, all these kinds of wonderful things? Okay, so uh, what can we figure out here? Okay, so remember we mentioned all the way at the beginning that Usher is the 10th. He's the 10th tribe, right? Yes. In a, in a, and that's just, that's just arithmetic. You count. From Ruvain uh, until Usher, you will land on number 10. Now, but what is interesting is that he's also number 11. That is, in the Seder of the Degolim, he's going to be the 11th. So, so uh, we'll right, translate we'll Seder of the Golem. Yes. Uh, right, so, so when so the, Jewish people are in, summary, what that means. the Jewish people are encamped in the wilderness, there was a, speci- a special design of, of how the various encampments of the different tribes, and they're bunched into uh, groups of three uh, three to the north, three to the east, three to the west, and three to the south. And in the middle, you have the Mishkan, the tabernacle, with the Levites. And there was a whole system for how the traveling actually was done. Uh, first uh, this group, and then that group, and then the, the assembly of the Mishkan, and then the Levites go. Uh, so there's a whole arrangement of the, of the, proper, of, of the proper traveling, the, the, or the, the sequence of traveling of the various tribes. And you're telling me that number 11 is number 11 to travel is the tribe of, of Asher. Is that right? Well, it, it is, and, and it's, it's actually very clear to see the very fact that... The, see, the reason why Asher is the tribe that is, corresponds with Shvat is because the way the system works is that we calculate the months according to this system, the, the Degolim. So Shvat is the 11th month, right? The, the, the Degolim means, means flags, right? It means flags. The flags, right? So the you banners. go in the order of the flags, the banners, and that's how the months will be lined up. So we're in the 11th month right now, right? Shvat's 11th month. Next month is going to be Adar, and then, and then the year's over. Then we start from Nisa, and we start all over again. So we're in the 11th month, that's why it is the month of Usher, because Usher is going to be number 11th in terms of the setup of the, the banners. He is also number 11 in Parshas Naso when all of the tribes give their carbon, right? So we're taught that at the inauguration of the Mishkan, Tabernacle. each one of the tribes, the, the leader of the tribe, brought his own sacrifice. And they went, they went in that order, specifically in that order of the banners. And it says, the verse tells us explicitly that Usher was number 11 in bringing his carbon. The word the Torah uses is Ashtay Asar. Biyom Ashtay Asar. 
Um, the the uh, Nasi of Shevet Usher, whose name was Pagil ben Achran, he brought the carbon. Okay, so Usher is on one hand he's number ten because he's the tenth tribe to be born. On the other hand, he's number eleven because he's always going to follow as the eleventh. He's the eleventh month. He's the eleventh in the the order of the banners. He's the eleventh tribe to bring the inaugural carbon. So he's ten, but he's also eleven. And I just want to point that out, and we'll see what that means momentarily. Okay, now I mentioned that uh, he is Usher's number 11, and that is referred to as Ashtay Usher, Biyom Ashtay Usher. Now there's something very interesting about the number 11, and even the word Ashtay Usher. And this can be found in a Gemara in Meseches Sanhedrin, which I will be is a great expert on that particular tractate, page 23. It's a relative gradients of ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what the Gemara says. The Gemara refers to a... It's an expression that is very accepted in the vernacular, but it, it comes all the way from the Gemara, which is kol hamosef gorea, which very literally translates to more is less, right? That's the English expression, more is less. Kol hamosef, anyone who adds gorea is actually subtracting. Okay, but the Gemara takes this very seriously. It's not just an expression. It's not just an, a, a term you throw around. It, they seem to, to feel it has like a, almost a halachic or certainly philosophical significance to the point where they want to understand where we can see this concept alluded to in Scripture itself. So the Gemara brings three different opinions. Chizkiah. Okay, that's one of the Amarom, Chizkiah, tells us that this idea of more is less can be traced back all the way to the beginning of time, to the very first sin. So, we all know what that is. That, that was eating uh, Chava, Eve ate from the forbidden fruit. She gave to her husband Adam to eat from the forbidden fruit. But before she even got to that point, it all begins with a conversation she had with the Nachash, with the serpent. So the serpent approaches her and says... Uh, what's the deal? Why can't you eat from that tree? And she responds by saying that God told us, Lo do not eat from it, Lo sigubo, do not touch it. This was a problem because God did not tell her that. God did not tell her, do not touch it. He just said, do not eat from it. She was Mosif. Okay, she added on to what it was that God told her. This seems to be the very first mistake that Chava made was was exactly this, of kol ha-mosef gorea. She added on to the instruction, and this, in turn, came back to bite her. That's kind of a pun. I mean, she bit it, but... Um, yeah, right? So she added She added on. Yeah, if, not, if I'm not mistaken, the sages tell us that the, the serpent shoved her into the tree, and yeah, she yeah, touched the tree, nothing, shoved, Yeah, exactly. Nothing exactly. happened. He shoved her into the tree, he said... Exactly. So He's like, look, be. you touched it, nothing yeah. happened. Right. It, it exactly. must be that so, if you eat from it as well, you'll be okay. Right, so this little addition that she made ended up being the beginning of her downfall. Okay, that's source number one. Source number two, Rav Mishar Shiyomar. Mehacha. Amosayim Vochetzi Arko. Okay, this is uh, in Parshas, probably, uh, probably Vayakov. Truma? Kude, somewhere around there. Where is it? Truma. In in Truma, okay. So it's it's where the Torah is is listing the various measurements for the different parts of the Mishkan. The point is it says the word Amosayim, which means two Amos. So th- this is so interesting. The Gemara says, if you were to remove the Aleph, 
from the word Amosayim, uh, it would say Mosayim, which means 200. Because you added an Aleph, it downgrades from 200 to 2. So you see that adding on actually takes off. You get there, Obi? I got it. So you add a letter. You're like, oh, if I add more letters, I must have a bigger bigger number, right? Just add more and more. Well, no. You add a letter, and now you have uh, reduced the number by a factor of 100. Okay. Rav Ashi, Omar, Rav Ashi says, Ashte Osir Esre Yerios. This is referring to the Yerios, the curtains around the Mishkan. It says, Ashte Osir. That's our number, 11. He said like this. If The word Ashte is spelled like this. Ayin Shin Taf Yot. If you were to remove the ayin, it would say shte asrei, which means 12. Because you added an ayin, you actually went down a step, you went down to 11. So here again, you see by adding a letter, you actually subtract. So we have, um, we have three understand? examples. So, we have three examples of the idea where if you add something, you have a law, and you say, well, let me add another law. Let me make another mitzvah. Let me make 614 mitzvahs. Actually, no. The 613 mitzvahs don't add anymore. Uh, Eve tried it, and that was the beginning of her downfall. And even with the spelling of numbers, we have two examples, either with the word 200 or the word 12. In both instances, when you add a letter to those words, you actually reduce it from 200 to 2 and from 12 to 11, because shtei esrei is 12, but ashtei esrei is 11. Right. So let's just let's just hone in on this last one, the eleven one. The, the the idea of eleven being a negative addition is something which actually makes logical sense, and it's something we find multiple times in the Torah. It makes logical sense because we know that completion, uh, from a Torah perspective, is always expressed by the number ten, one through ten. There really is no room for an eleven. Once you pass ten, you just start again. If there's an 11, that means you're kind of outside of the purview of the Torah's perspective. So we see this because if you go to the end of Parshas Vayishlach, when it enumerates the, the sons, I shouldn't say the sons, like the, how would you translate the word aluf, the, the generals, uh, the leaders chieftains. of Esau? The? The chieftains. The chieftains, okay. The chieftains of Esau, so the number is 11. There's 11 chieftains of Esau, 11 alufim. Okay, so there you have it. Because Esau is not observant of the Torah. He does not work within the parameters that the Torah sets. And therefore, he associates himself with the number 11. He doesn't see 10 as completion. We also find that there are 11 negaim of Taras. All right, so Tsaras is, is leprosy. There are different versions of leprosy. And the total number of those versions is 11. Rabbi Wobi, can you think of any other 11s? Well, uh, a couple of years ago, actually on Parshas Bo, we're recording this on a Friday before Parshas Bo, uh, I did a podcast called The 11 Dimensions of Exile, where I went through a comment or, or an essay, really, from the Megala Amutros, where he talks about this number 11 and how it's, uh, it's uh, a dastardly number and it causes all kinds of problems. And then he talks about Haman had 10 sons. Now, Haman plus his 10 sons are the 11 villains. And he talks about how 
when Moshe talks about the sins of the Jewish people in the beginning of the book of Devarim, he says, Achada Saryomi Chorev, 11 days from Chorev. And um, he, in this essay, he talks about how the exile, the Jewish people in Egypt, there are 11 different dimensions to it corresponding to these 11 different uh, elements, so to speak, of negativity. And then he says, corresponding to that, we have 11 Psalms of Moshe and 11 ingredients of the Ketores to try to combat that. But uh, there's definitely a principle that, you know, you, you want 10 fingers. It's not so great to have an 11th one, right? 10 is perfect. 11, that's already a problem. Right. So there you have it. So that's, that's a whole bunch of sources to this idea that 11 is, it's not a good number. It's not a number that's associated with Kedusha. And that's this idea of because when you go too far and you add on too much, you end up actually subtracting from what you could and should have had. Okay, and that's Shvat. All right, that's Shvat. Shvat's the 11th month. Right? Usher is the 11th Shevet in that sense. Usher is especially peculiar because he's really the 10th, right? He's born as the 10th, which, which is great. We love 10. 10 is completion in the world of Torah. And yet... In the lineup of the Degum, he's like, he gets pushed over to 11, which is like, like the word you used was dastardly. He goes from being super to dastardly in one fell swoop. So what's going on with Usher? Okay, so that, this is, that's just a very like a long version of, of, of a question, which is we know that the number 11 is negative, and yet we find that Usher is associated with it. Um, what's the deal there? Okay? So, yeah, so we're seeing conflicting things here about the tribe of Asher. On one hand, there's number 10 associated, which is very positive. On the other hand, there's number 11, which is quite negative because you're adding more. You're adding more when it's 10 the right number, and then you add, you're actually subtracting. Okay. Now, let's just go back to Shvat for a minute. There's another very important and fascinating feature to the month of Shvat, and that is that Chomesh Devarim, Okay, the entire fifth book of the five books of Moses, well, the entire thing, start to finish, well, well, I shouldn't say that. The entire thing, it began on Rosh Chodesh Shvat. And that's a verse. Okay, that is, that is an explicit verse. It says, again, it uses that word, Ash the, the first day of the 11th month, Ho'el Moshe Be'er Satorazos, Moshe began to explain the Torah. Okay, Moshe began to explain all of the Torah, beginning on Rosh Chodesh Shvat. And then he went, you know when he died. So we know when he died, he died on the 7th of Adar. Um, interestingly, the way the Chomesh begins says, These are the words that Moshe spoke. The word Ela, Ela is Gemachia 36. The Archaim points out that it is because he spoke for 36 days, right? Because he started on the first day of Shvat and he went until the 7th of Adar, I'm assuming he means, I'm assuming the Archaim is understanding that he completed this before the seventh day of Adar or something, because it should be 37. Um, I don't know exactly how you get, get around the 37. Maybe that month, the month was a 29 day month. Maybe it was tw- exactly, maybe it was a 29 day month. Okay, very good. Right, so it was 36 days, and that's the A lab. But basically, he started, and, and most of it, the vast majority of the, of the entire Chumash Devarim would, to- uh, re- would have been repeated or. or told over, explained, as the verse says, by Er Hetev, he explained it on the month of Shvat. So another very interesting feature of Shvat is that this is the month that Moshe Benu chose 
to um, to tell over all of the Torah. And not only that, the verse says, Ba'er Hetev, and Rashi tells us that means he translated it into 70 languages. He translated the Torah into 70 languages on the month of Shvat, you know, leading into the beginning of Adar. Now, I know we spoke about translating the Torah in last month's podcast, right, about the month of Teves. Here you find it again, that Moshe Rabbeinu himself translated all of the Torah into 70 languages, and this happened during this month. What is going on there? Now, I have to just, I'm, I'm contractually obligated to say that you said the number 36, and that always sends alarm bells, the 36... Uh, <laughs> you taught us. You taught us. We're trained. The 36 uh, lights of Hanukkah, the 36 hours of the original light. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm sure it, re- it relates to it, but I don't want to get you off uh, off topic. But let's let's proceed. Yeah, you're learning well, Rabbi Wolby. What can I tell you? All right. So now we're going to start getting... Now, so far, this is all questions. Questions are easy. Now we're going we're to enter uh, answer territory. Uh, and this is where I, where I mentioned things are going to start getting convoluted, and, and Rabbi Wolby, I'm sure, in his vast brilliance, is going to help us figure all of this out. I want to suggest something super deep, um, and that is as follows. Remember that Gemara we quoted earlier in Sanhedrin about there's three sources for this idea that more is less, kol hamosef gorea. The first source, all the way from the back to the beginning of time, which, by the way, you see that this is super significant. Right? If this is like this is like the first step of the first sin. It's like the first of the first. It is the very beginning of the end. Is what? Is this? Is Kolonos of Gorea. Um and that's where he's finding the source that, that Chava, Eve, she she added on to the commandment. And that's where she met her downfall. That's source number one for the the idea of Kolomosif Gorea. The next one was from the addition of the letter Aleph. To the word Amosayim. It says Amosayim, which means two Amos. Two, um, what, how do you say Amo in, in cubit, English? A cubit, I think, a cubit. A cubit. We have two cubits. Amosayim. Take off the Aleph, and you'll get Masayim, which means 200. Okay, so there's an added Aleph. Ravashi Amar, Ashte Esrei Yirios. It says 11, which is the word Ashte. There's an additional Ayin. If you would just take off that Ayin, you would have 12, Shte Esrei. Because you have an Ayin, you now have 11. We know a principle called Elu Elu Whenever you have a dispute of rabbis in the Gemara or in the Mishnah, they're all right. They're all right somehow. They're all saying the same thing. Sometimes it's hard to see it, but they're really all saying the same thing. They're just expressing it differently. Or they're expressing different angles of the idea. And here is what I want to suggest. The reason why Kol HaMosef Gorea, anyone who adds on is actually subtracting, the reason why that is so fundamental to the point where it's literally the first, the first part of the first sin, stage one of sin number one, the reason why it's so significant is because to add on to something, that you have to be in a world where numbers dictate. I said five and you gave me six. I said ten, you gave me eleven. If I'm in a world where numbers have no value, where numbers have no relevance, there's no such thing as kolomosif, and there's no such thing as gorea. You can't add, you can't subtract. There's no numbers. How can you be in a world where there's no numbers? I'll tell you. On the very first day of creation, God created light, right? He says, It was day one. Now, 
there's a discrepancy between the description of day one versus the description of all the subsequent days of the week. Because the subsequent days of the week don't say day two. It says it was the second day, Yom Sheini. Right? It doesn't say Yom Shtayim. It says Yom Sheini. It is the second day, Yom Shlishi, the third day. In line with that, it should say Yom Rishon, the first day. It doesn't say Yom Rishon. It says it's day one. And the way we understand that to mean, and the way we're, what Rashi, I think, tells us is that it was the day of, of Echad, the day of godliness, which God is Echad. God is absolute oneness. There is no multiple factors to God. He's an absolute one. If you live in a world of one, of Enod Malvado, there's nothing other than God. There's just that oneness of God that incorporates all of creation. So you're outside a realm of numbers. Can't add and you can't subtract. There's just one. What happened was like this. Adam and Chava were living a life of Echad. They were entirely connected to that calling, to that mission of Shema Yisrael Hashem Elkeinu Hashem Echad, which is that, that's really the mantra of the Jewish people. It's the mission statement of the Jewish people. Ultimately, Adam fails, and Avram Avinu has to pick up the pieces. The verse of first Avram Avinu this is not in Scripture. This is in, I forgot exactly where it is, but it says, Echad Haya Avraham. Avram was Echad. Avraham managed to put the pieces together and live with that world of Echad, but Adam failed. At what point did Adam fail? Well, that began when the serpent approached, and he began and he started. His, he started to engage Chava in his heretical arguments that uh, whatever he was telling her that God doesn't want you to eat from the tree. If you eat from the tree, you'll be like another God. The underlying point was that God isn't Echad. That's what the, the serpent was trying to convince Chava. If you eat from this, you'll be like God, right? That's what he was telling her. The Nachash represents that heresy that denial in the Echad of Hashem. Chava, for the first time ever, was encountering this philosophy and it was making an impact on her. She was having a conversation with the Nachash. At that moment, she stumbled. And what happened, the first thing that happens when she stumbled is she violates this concept of Kol HaMosef Gorea. She begins to add on. Why is she adding on? Because this is the very first moment in her life where she's even being introduced to the ability to add on or to subtract. And that's her first mistake. And that's why it's the mistake that really encapsulates all of the sin that they are going to transgress and that will bring humanity down forever until the end of time. Because what it really connotes is that they have exited the absolute oneness of God and have entered a world in which one is bound by numbers and can add or subtract. Right, Wilby, I know this is super lofty. Do you understand any of it? Does I, any listen, of it make any sense? I, I'm, I'm with my feeble mind, I think I understand where you're going. That in, in an ideal world, in a perfect world, in the, in the world of day one, there's, there's just the Almighty. That's the only reality. That's the only existence. And problems happen to humanity 
when they move off of that and they start to introduce other things. So the idea of a foreign God, right? That we believe in one God. If you start talking about the various different forces, and the various different powers, and like that, that's when you get into trouble and you get into heresy. Similarly, the 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 notion of of, of Eve allowing the sin to happen, all that began with the 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 idea of something can exist absent God. There is some reality. There is some existence. There is some sort of value, some sort of reality that's not just this oneness of God. And that kind of plays itself out when she starts adding to the mitzvahs of God, and that leads to the downfall and the uh, disaster. That's right. Okay, very good. Now, we know what this happens. This reminds me, so if I eat. could just interject here, this reminds me of, of this idea that really the, the Talmud says that there's really only one mitzvah, just one mitzvah, and that's to have a munah, so it's, it's one mitzvah to, to have faith in God. That's really what it's all about. Now, for us, because we're complicated and uh, we're, we're multidimensional, and that's not a positive, apparently, we have 613 ways to play that out, to manifest that. But really, there's only one, one commandment. And the way that is uh, fleshed out, so to speak, for us complicated folks is in 613 ways. Now, Adam was given only one mitzvah because he was originally at the level where he, too— had this kind of unitary, almost simplicity of sorts. It was just one mitzvah, and then once you add to it, you create this confusion and uh, multiplicity, to use your word, and that is where things begin to deteriorate very rapidly. Excellent. I love that. I love that connection to Tzadik v'amunaso Wait, Tzadik is also the letter of the month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, that's why I love it. I, I'm... <laughs> I'm under pressure here. I'm trying to rapidly put that one together. Okay, we'll get there. Um, anyways, we know how this this terrible story ends. Uh, they eat from the fruit. They get kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They get kicked out of Gan Eden. And they are given kosnos or. Kosnos or vayol bishim. They are given like robes, kosnos or of skin. Robes of skin. And they, and they wore them. They put them on. We've discussed this last year, I believe, if you recall. Uh, it was Adar, okay? So uh, almost a full year ago. The, uh, the Chassam Sofer says some very fascinating things about this Kasnos Or. So the Gemara actually tells us. So the word Or means is spelled with an ayin. Kasnos Or, uh, robes of skin, spelled with an ayin. Uh, and the Chassam Sofer says like this. We Oh, well, we know the Gemara tells us that Rabbi Meir... Very mystical thing. In his Torah, it didn't say or with an eye, it said or with an olive. Kasnos are robes of light. Amazing thing. Says the Chasam Sofer that originally the, the very physical bodies of Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve, were they were ethereal. They were transcendental. They weren't physical in, in, in many senses, and they were actually or they were light. Their, their bodies were light. You, you would look at them, you just saw a glow. Luminescent. Luminescent, that's the word. When they sinned, okay, so their bodies were or, or with an aleph. You looked at a human being, you look at the atom, and you saw light, or with an aleph. When they sinned, the or with an aleph was downgraded into or with an ayin. What happens to an aleph when it, when it sins, when it stumbles, is it turns into an ayin. 
the ayin is like the um, it's like the perversion of the aleph. So light turns into skin, or turns into or aleph turns into ayin. The Chassam Sofer says that when someone gets tzara'as, when someone speaks Lashon Hara, this is what we spoke about last year, uh, on, on Adar, when someone gets tzara'as, it is, the reason they're getting tzara'as is because even though our our light, our ore, turned into ore with an eye and turned into skin, there's still some remnant of light. There's still some hallow that surrounds a human being, something spiritual. And when you sin and you speak Lashon Hara, even that goes down. And your skin becomes even more coarse, and that is what Taras is. So Taras is a manifestation of a further perversion of the light, of the or with an aleph. We know the Allah is, the Pasuk tells us, that if someone gets Taras, he has to go to a Kohen Gadol. No, sorry, not a Kohen Gadol, a Kohen. And a Kohen has the ability to say whether this is Tahar or whether this is Tameh, and even if it's Tameh, he's the one who's going to oversee the process of making you Tahar again. The Kohen has the ability to retract the ore with an ayin and turn it back into ore with an aleph. The Chassam Sofer says that that's the secret of the big day kahuna, the, the special garments that the Kohen wears, is because it, those garments are really associated with the original light that used to encase uh, the human being. So we, we have these two similar letters. We have the letter aleph and the letter ayin. Now when you pronounce those letters, they sound the same. So there's something about it that seems to be indistinguishable. But they're very, very different. Aleph is one, and Ayn is 70. And Aleph is light, and Ayn is, is leather, is skin. And there was a degradation of Adam and Eve. They had garments of light, and those garments were downgraded to garments of leather or of skin. And that can be further exacerbated. That de- degradation can be further exacerbated by someone getting saras, where the skin gets even further contaminated, and the role of the Kohen is to kind of stave off that uh, devolution, that, that devolvement of the skin and kind of restore it back to where it previously was, but really ultimately to bring it back to where it originally was with the garments of light. Excellent. So... The Eitz Adas, eating from the Eitz Adas, eating from the Tree of Knowledge, resulted in the degradation of the Aleph into the Ayin. And this further is really the same idea of Kol HaMosif Gorea, right? Skin, it's an add-on, right? In, in other words, the human being was just metaphysical, and now it's physical. Is that not an addition? Well, it is, but it's a bad addition. Additions are not good. Kol HaMosif Gorea. So, the, we, we had an added component to our physical makeup, but that dilutes the, the spiritual part of it. Now, remember, we mentioned that it's amazing that there are 11 types of tzeras. That was one of the 11s. That makes perfect sense now. Because tzeras also, it's an add-on, right? Before you didn't have, before this fellow didn't have tzeras, now he has tzeras. Yippee, he just got something more. Well, no, that's something less. Adding on is bad, and that's why there is 11 types of tzeras. Now, here's what's what's really crazy. This is the, the fasten your seatbelt moment. Look look back at the Gemara. It said, we have three sources for Kolomosev Gorea. A, the first one, Eve in her conversation, Chava in her conversation with the serpent. 
The second one is an Aleph being added onto the word Masai. And Masai tells you 200. Al-Masayim with an Aleph tells you 2. You added an Aleph. Ashte Esrei Yerios is the next one. Okay? That means 11. You added an Ayin. If you would have not had that Ayin, you would have Shte which is 12. Is this not absolutely mind-blowing? Our very first source is eating from is the story of the Itzadas. The next source is an Aleph, and the next source is an Ayin. According to us, the idea is, because adding on, the root of adding something on is the sin of the Eitzadas. Before the sin of the Eitzadas, you couldn't add on. Once you do add on, what happens? The Aleph gets downgraded into an Ayin. So these two letters, Aleph and Ayin, are the relevant letters to the entire concept of Kalamosif Gorea. And that's why this Gemara is, is just so perfectly, it lines up so perfectly. It's really hinting at the very theme of what the problem of Kalamos of Korea is. It will be our, I see you're nodding your head. You I, like I, it. I love it, it, yes. So there's a certain progression that when you say, when you add, and that's the first example of adding and subtracting, it's the sin of Adam and Eve, then the next two examples show what actually happens. You go from an Aleph to an Ayin, you go from this, this lofty, supernal, ethereal level to the world of multiplicity and, uh, and disaster. Yeah. Okay. Now, remember I had mentioned that when you're in that world of Echad, right? That world of, let's say, of where that Adam and Chava lived in prior to the sin. So then I said, there's no such thing as being Mosef at that point. You can't add on because you're outside of the realm of numbers. Or maybe not outside the world of numbers. The world of numbers doesn't really exist in, in that kind of environment. And I'm going to bring a, a, a proof to this idea. I'm going to point you to a place where you actually see this playing itself out. When the shofar blew at Mount Sinai, okay, at the giving of the Torah, there was a, a, the blow of a shofar, and the verse uh, much later in, in Devarim refers to that uh, sound of the shofar, that shofar blast as a kol gadol velo yasaf, a great sound that is not yasaf. Now, how would you translate that, Rabbi Wolby? What's your initial intuition? Well, you would think... That it means, like Yosef means to add. So you would think that the, there's a loud sound and it doesn't, it doesn't increase. It doesn't increase, which is strange. I mean, you're telling me it's this massive sound that doesn't increase. Okay. I mean, that, that, that if anything, that makes it, that kind of limits its impact. Rashi says something super counterintuitive. He says, no, based on the Targum Unclus, he says, Kol Gadovalo Yasaf means Velo Pasak. It doesn't stop. Velo yasaf means it doesn't stop. It doesn't... Okay, so the simple understanding is it doesn't increase, and the other... And Rashtal is no, it means it doesn't stop. So I once saw the B'nai Saskar. I don't remember offhand where it is, but I clearly remember seeing it. He explains that it's one and the same. He says when something is all-consuming, when it can fill the entire universe, so then two things will happen. It will never continue and it will never stop because it can't. It's outside of the world of, of numbers. It can't be more and it can't be less because it's everything. He says, Kol Gadol means this was a godly call. This was the, the, the chauffeur was, was blown by God himself. It was an expression of, of pure divinity. It filled the universe. Velo Yasaf, it didn't increase, doesn't limit its impact. It's a description of just how impactful it was. Not that it didn't increase. It could not increase. It filled the whole world. 
For the same reason, Rashi says, Velo Pasak, and it never stopped. It cannot stop. The same way God can't stop. It's just everything. It's the everything call. It's the everything noise. It's like infinity. You can't add, can't it's infinity. subtract from it. Right, that's the right now, word, I, is infinity. I, I was just, as you're saying this, I'm remembering that we have a few other examples of this uh, very unusual dichotomy where uh, the word, the passage says, the verse says, lo yasaf, and it, it's, it seems to be, get, we, we're given like complete opposite definitions. When, uh, when Judah, when he spends time with his daughter-in-law unwittingly producing twins, and we know the story in, in chapter 38 of Genesis, so uh, the verse says, Velo yasaf od ledata. And he didn't yasaf to know her in the biblical sense. So Rashi says, Yesh omrim lo hosif. Some say he didn't do it any further. Yesh omrim lo pasak. And some, says, some say he didn't stop. So again, that same dichotomy. And the Rashi also brings in um, the book of Numbers, we have the 70 elders. Moshe collects 70 elders. And I wonder if this relates to your 70 theme. He collects 70 elders to bestow prophecy upon. And then you have the two individuals, Eldad and Medad, who remain in the camp. We remember that story. And the verse says that they prophesied, they didn't cease. And again, Rashi brings both of those two apparently contradictory interpretations, either that they didn't continue or they didn't cease. So I'm just throwing that out there. I wonder if there's a, a commonality. Well, it's got to be a commonality between these three themes that they somehow relate to this uh, notion of, of infinity or the revelation of God. We know that Judah and Tamar, that is associated with Mashiach. That is a day of oneness. Of course, the, the notion of the um, prophecy of, of those 70, it's not just 70, it's 70 plus one of Moshe. So it's the 71. And that, too, seems to emanate from a higher realm. And again, I'm just spitballing here. I'm just uh, speculating. But it seems like they're all, they're all uh, correlated. Excellent. Wow. Okay. That, that's very fascinating. Very cool to pull that right out of your head. Um, okay. Now, can I ask you a question? Silly question. Did you just tell me that this this chauffeur blast is all encompassing, consumes the whole world? I I didn't hear it. I don't know. I went to shul this morning. I didn't hear any loud chauffeur blast ringing in my ears. Well, if if it's steady, it's like a tinnitus. Your your brain will just uh, will just <laughs> eliminate it. I mean, if if that's the baseline, you've never not heard it. I've never not heard it. All right, I'll take that. I'm going to give you a different answer. It's like when you go, you go out at answer. night. You go out at night and you hear the, like in the summer, or in Houston all the time, you hear like the cr- the crickets, and they're making these loud noises. But your your brain just tunes it out because it's always there. Okay, I hear that. But I'm going to give you a different answer. This answer comes from. I usually don't quote non-Hasidic sources, not because I'm prejudiced. It's just the way I roll. But here's a very non-Hasidic source. Rabbi Schneer Cutler, okay, the, the, the late Rosh Yeshiva of Beis Medrash Gavoa in Lakewood. He writes in the Hakdama, in the introduction to one of his father's farms. So his father was the venerated Rav Aaron Cutler, the great founder of the Lakewood Yeshiva, 
or at least a founding Rosh Hashiva of the Lakewood Yeshiva. And he writes, I think possibly in the name of his father, I think it's in the name of his father, that you know where this call is? You know where it can be found? It's not, it's not a physical sound. It's not something you hear. It's buried in the Torah itself. And when you study Torah, that sense of connection to something divine, that's you hearing this call. You're hearing this eternal and infinite call. And I don't know, I didn't, I didn't actually didn't see this inside. I heard this from in a speech once. But I would suspect that the way you see that manifest realistically is the fact that Torah literally never ends. A week doesn't go by in which another Sefer is not produced. Sefer means a book. Another book. And it can easily be argued that everything in this newly published book is entirely novel. And none of the ideas were ever printed ever before. I think so. I mean, I'm sure there's overlap, but there doesn't need to be overlap. I could This share I'm giving right now is probably the 10,000th, no, 100,000th, millionth share on the month of Shvat been given since the beginning of time. And I, I'm confident there are ideas I'm sharing that have never been shared before. And Listen, the same I think it's the best every one. Single, every, <laughs> I'm sure it's the same hold true with every single one of every single one of Rabbi Wolby's podcasts. Torah is the Kol Gadol Al Yasef. It never ends because it's part of that that divine uniqueness, that un, that unique feature that only really exists in in the world of Echad, in the world where something is completely unbound by any sort of boundary outside the realm of numbers. It just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. So, Torah and the ability to create Torah is really connecting to this theme of numberlessness, this theme of Echad, this theme of Kol Gadol Velo Yasef. That said, we know, and we know this really from Hanukkah, I mean, I could throw a lot of sources at you, but I'm, I'm not going to bog you down with that. Torah Shabal Peh, we know, is very much associated with Oral Torah. Oil. Oral Torah, yeah, it's very much associated with olive oil. That's why uh, the menorah on Hanukkah, which Hanukkah is the celebration, really, of the beginning of the Oral Torah, because that was when the Mishnayis began uh, to be re- recorded. Um, this is all going back to two months ago, to Kislev. Olive oil is very much associated with the uh, Torah Shabal Peh, with the Oral Torah, without getting into exactly how and why. We know, and we were taught, and we mentioned this earlier, that Usher has all the olives. The olive, the olives grew in Usher's portion of Eretz Yisrael. V'tovol b'shem and raglo, the, the verse said, that Usher will have all the olive oil. Okay, so what this is telling us is, olive oil is, is obviously a physical thing, but it represents something spiritual, and it, we know that it represents Torah Shabalpeh, oral Torah, and Usher has it. Now, putting all the pieces together... What that means is Asha has a, a very strong connection with this Echad theme, with this numberlessness theme, with this Kol Gadol Yasef theme. This is all part of Asha's portion of Eretz Yisrael because he's got the olive oil. He owns this Torah Shabal Peh. I, I think our sages also say that oil is unique in that it doesn't mix. It kind of it, it, it separates itself and thus it doesn't allow for the admixture of good and evil. It kind of retains that echad status, that, that unitary um, distinctness from other things. 
That's very interesting. I did not think of that. But yeah, that ties in very well. It won't get mixed into anything, right? It's just, it is what it is. It's in, it's in a world of its own, kind of. And it always rises to the top. Right, all of these ideas are something that we find with oil specifically. Now remember, we mentioned that when you are connected to this echad, well, let's go the other way. In. When, the, when you are disconnected to the echad, the aleph falls and turns into an ayin. The degradation of aleph to ayin. Now, there's a way of doing the opposite. There's a way of taking that ayin and reconnecting it to the aleph. Bringing it back to the elf. That's what we said when, uh, if someone gets Tsaras, it goes to the Kohen, the Kohen says, you could, you could become Tahar. The Kohen has the power to take your ayin and reverse it back to an eye, to an Aleph. Usher, we said, is the 10th tribe. Rabbi Wobi, can you say, I know you have, you lived in Israel for several years. Can you tell me how to say 10 in Hebrew? 10 is Eser. Okay, now, pop spelling quiz. How do you spell Eser? So Eser as in 10 is an ayin. And then uh, a sin and a resh, eser. Excellent. Usher is the tenth tribe. How do you spell the word usher? It's the same last two letters because the shin and the sin are interchangeable. At least it's the same letter. So shin, resh. And then it's an aleph instead of an ayin. Wow. Excellent. Look at that. I could tell from your face that you kind of saw where this is heading. So, so Usher is Esser. Usher is born. He's the 10th tribe to be born. And his name is Usher. Why is his name not Esser? His name should be like 10 with an I. No, he's, he's, he is the Esser who managed to flip the Ayin back into an Aleph. Because he has that power to live in that world where numbers are irrelevant and you're back to the Echad. And in that world, you could be Mosef. Call him Mosef. Gorea doesn't apply in the world of Echad. Rabbi Wolbe, after Usher is born, who's the next tribe to be born? Yosef. Yosef. Does that not sound like the word Mosef? Call it Mosef Gorea? It does sound like it. As a matter of fact, it's the very same word. Yosef Li Ben Acher, says Rachel when he is born. His entire name, Yosef's entire name, his entire essence, is to be Mosef. <laughs> You're not allowed to be Mosef. Did we not learn that call him Mosef Gorea? Well, guess what? Usher allowed Yosef to come into existence. It's because of Usher that that a Yosef can be born and can bring Hosafa to the world. We find the same concept, interestingly, on Hanukkah itself. Right On Hanukkah, we're taught that the bare minimum of lighting the, the obligation, to fulfill the obligation of lighting the menorah is to light one candle, right? You could just light one. But we're taught, you could continue onward and be Mosef Veholech. Why are you allowed to be Mosef Veholech? We, we know you could add, called, you could add a, every successive night, you add another you could add You could add one, one, and then two, and then three, then four, then five, six, seven, and then eight. Why are you being Mosef? Right? We know Baal Tosef. There, there's an Avera. You're not allowed to, to uh, do more than the, the actual mitzvah, right? So you're not allowed to put on five things of tzitzis, right? You have four corners. You want to add a fifth one. You're not allowed to do that. You can't put five partios in your tefillin, right? There's four little scrolls. You can't put a five. You're not allowed to add. Call Mosef Gorea, adding subtracts. But by Hanukkah, you can. And I think the idea is because on Hanukkah, we're taught Hanukkah is a time of or. It's a time of light. It's where the or with an aleph shines and rains. And therefore, there's no problem of being Mosef in that world, just like there's no problem in having 
if giving birth to someone named Yosef, once Usher is introduced, Usher, who's the one with the olive oil, allows for Hosafa in the world, so too Hanukkah, which is the holiday of, of olive oil and of light, allows for a Hosafa in in the world. And that's so where you can be most safe in the whole when we're in the regime, when we're under the realm of the Aleph, that's a good Hosafa. You're allowed to add in that context. That's a positive addition. Whereas if you're still under the domain of the Ayin, then it's called Hamosef Goreah. Exactly. And just to throw in that how, uh, ultimately, if you do add um, on Hanukkah as prescribed by the rabbis, you'll get to number 36, right? You'll get to number 36. If you do 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4, plus 5 plus 6 plus 7 plus 8, 7 plus 8, you'll get 36, which, as you said earlier, is that's the number of days that um, Moshe Rabbeinu um, said over Chumash Devarim. Uh, not getting into all that right now. But yeah, the number 36 is very much associated with this, uh, with or with light. Okay. The verse we had quoted, where the Arizal says, is the source for the, the formula of Hashem's name, for the month of Shvat. Lo yevaker ben tov l'ra, velo yimirenu, v'mhamer yimirenu, v'hayahu usumrasu yeh, kodesh. Do not choose between good and bad. Um, and do not transfer the Kedusha. If you do, it and the other one will be Kodesh. What in, what in the world does that have to do with do not select or do not discern between good and bad? Everybody, does that bother you? Like what? I mean, is Betsy, the, the big, fat, strong Betsy, and the skimpy little whatever her name is, is one good and one bad? I wouldn't call it good and bad. I would just call it like, Big and small, strong and weak. Doesn't good and bad seem a little harsh? Here's what I want to suggest. Don't get into the world of the Eitzadas. The Eitzadas is called Eitzadas Yodea Tov Vira. The Eitzadas is Tov Vira. It's where Tov and Ra become enmeshed with each other. It's where you leave the realm of absolute good and absolute oneness, and now you're in a world where there's this confusion between Tov and Ra. And here's what happens. Because we are in that world of Tov and Ra, because we ate from the Eitzadas, therefore, there's a problem. You cannot take number 10, you cannot take that 10th animal that left the barn and was, and was selected as being the Kodesh animal, and switch that Kedusha over to number 11. Okay, you can't do that because we are now in a world of numbers. And numbers mean something because we're in a world of Eitzadas. We're no longer in the world of oneness. So now you are bound to numbers. And number 10 means number 10 and not number 11. You cannot have number 11 supplanting number 10. You can't switch it around because the number 10 dictates. It's because we live in the world of Tov and Ra that this entire transgression could even exist. That the number 10 can mandate that you're stuck with a certain animal and a certain carbon and you can transition that away. Everybody, is this a little vague? I'm, I'm myself struggling a little bit with this idea. It's, uh, I, I think I understand where you're going. That if you assign something to number 10... It's, it's not possible for you to assign it to number 11 
because then you're kind of transitioning out of the domain of the way it was beforehand of Echa to Tovara. You're, you're kind of, you're going from the world of before the sin to the world after the sin where there is a discrepancy between good and bad. Or there's the possibility of good and bad. Right. Now, you understand that if, they, if you would be able to do it, right, if you were able to take animal number 10 and push it over to another animal, that animal would be number 11, right? And think about it. That's exactly what happens to Usher. Usher is number 10. He's the 10th tribe. But he gets labeled as Ashte Usher. In every other, and every one of his subsequent appearances, he's always number 11. As a Nasa, as a Nasi, bringing a carbon, he's number 11. In, in the Seder of the, the Golem, in, in the Banners, he's number 11. His month, Shvat, is the 11th month. What happened? I thought he was 10. I thought we don't switch 10 to 11. The answer is you do switch 10 to 11 if you're able to. If you're able to pull yourself out of that world of Tovera, the world of the Eitzadas, if you're able to bring yourself back to Echad, via, perhaps, the Shemen Zayas, the Torah Shabal Peh, so then you can transition easily between... 10 and 11. And that's what Usher does. He's number 10, but he's also Ashtay Usher. And that's not a negative thing. Even though usually number 11 is negative, it's not going to be negative if you're able to do it properly. We mentioned that like, Usher's... This is like what I what I mentioned at the top that from the Magala Mukros that there are 11 ingredients in the Ketores, in the in the incense. And that, of course, was the was done by the Kohen and even the Kohen Gadol. And that's kind of like an acceptable version of 11. Like a, a, under a certain, a certain state, the 11 is, is tolerable, even, even good. That's right. And, okay, we mentioned that Usher's daughters, Usher has exceptional children. His sons are the best sons we mentioned in the name of Rashi. He has the best sons of all the sons. Rashi says, I don't know how. Rashi, I think, means I don't know how you see that. But, uh, let me tell you how it happened. What I think, how it happened. I think this is this is very obvious. The Gemara tells us in Shabbos, Haragol Bener, Havyan Lo Banim Talmidei Chachamim. Someone who is very scrupulous in in the mitzvahs of candles. Rashi there tells us it means lighting the Shabbos candles and the Chanukah candles. He will have Banim Talmidei Chachamim. Rashi over there quotes the verse, Kiner Mitzvah Torah Or. By having or, by being associated with or, you will have children who are told me the chachamim. So, is that not Usher? Usher has all the shaman zayis. He's got all the olive oil. He's the one who's super connected to this or with an aleph, and it makes perfect sense that he's the one who's going to have the best children. You like it's like that's like an airtight argument. Similarly, Usher's daughters marry Kohanim Gedolim. Perhaps again, remember we mentioned that the Kohen is the one who has the power to flip that ayin back into an aleph. He's the one, when someone has saras, he goes to the coin, the coin will help him repair the damage that he's done. So Usher's daughters are going to marry Kohanim Gedolim. The idea of this 70 and this 1, really what it is, is that they have to be connected. We're not saying that the ayin should be reversed into an aleph, and thereby the ayin should no longer exist. The problems begin when the ayin becomes divorced from the aleph. In the ultimate, it's supposed to be ayin and aleph working together. And Rabbi Wobi, isn't that what a Sanhedrin is? There's really 71? Yeah, it's 70 plus 1, and then 
that's the the council the council of God. Exactly. But when, the, when the seventy go rogue, that's when you have problems. So, as follows: When Moshe Rabbeinu taught the Torah, he translated it into seventy languages. But we know that Lashon Hakodesh is not part of the seventy languages. It's the one. It's the seventy and the one. He did this in the month of Shvat. Okay, he did it in the month of Shvat. What was he doing? Why was he translating it into seventy languages? The answer is, he was connecting the one with the 70. He was saying in Elashon HaKodesh, that's your one, that's your Aleph, and then going ahead and translating it to 70 languages, connecting the 70 to the one. Now here's something amazing. The verse, we, we quoted this earlier, There's an Arizal, which I saw quoted in many places, that says the word Shemena is the same letters as the word Mishnah. It says the Arizal, whenever someone learns a Mishnah, they are connecting with Asher. Or it says like, it could be. I think I saw one source says usher is will like pray for that person or, or, or something. You become usher's friend when you learn a mishnah because may usher shmeina lachma. It's also interesting that shmeina and mishnah is also the letters of an, of neshama, and you would imagine the neshama that's the aleph, the soul is the aleph, and the right. body is the seventy. And really, they could be friends. They could work symbiotically. But the 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 aleph, the neshama, has to be lording. Has to be. He has to be handed the reins and in control, and that's like Olam Abba. That's the restoration of the uh, ideal before Adam's sin. Excellent. I love it. But here's what's super cool. Chomish Devarim, the entire fifth book of the five books of Moses, began in the month of Shvat, the month of Asher, which is connected to Mishnah. What is Chomish Devarim called? There's a word we use for it. It's called Mishnah Torah. Right? So for this Mishnah Torah, it's just, it's just amazing. Usher is the month of Mishnah. Uh, I mean, Usher. Shvat is a month of Usher. Usher is connected to Mishnah. In the month of Usher, in the month of Shvat, we say over in the whole Mishnah Torah. Another thing that Rizal tells us is that Mishnah Torah is a very unique Chumash. I mean, Chumash Devarim is very unique. Uh, it's a very unique book, the fifth book. Why? Because it's all Moshe Rabbeinu talking. You'll never find in that, I don't think you'll ever find an entire fifth book that says, God told Moshe to tell the Jewish people. It's just Moshe talking. He says that this Chumash Devarim, this fifth book, obviously it's Torah Shabiksav, it's part of the written Torah, but it kind of plants the seeds for Torah Shabbat. It plants the seeds for the ability for another Jew to come along and create his own Torah. Because in a sense, that's what Moshe Rabbein was doing. So you see again, that it's in this month of Shvat that the very seeds of Torah Shabal Peh are being planted. Uh, and again, because Usher is connected to the Shemin Zayas, he's this Torah Shabal Peh. He's this Echad, he's this Kol Gadol Velo Yosef. Another, uh, another point. There's a Medrash that tells us that every single one of the names of the Shvatim can be interpreted. Have you ever encountered this? It will be. You could that you could like uh, you you could like play have, make a play on word for every single one of the shvatim to allude to the ultimate geula, and it lists how Ruvain is Ru, the Anyi see my pain each one. When it comes to Usher, it says something unique. It quotes a verse in Malachi that says the issue Escham Kolagayim Kisiu Atam It's all of the nations will praise you when they see you on the land of choice. Very strange. It's like. I mean, Mashiach's going to come. We look forward to that. 
I'm very excited about going to Tarot Israel and, and I'm a Kohen, so I would love to go to Basil Mikdash and, and sacrifice Karbanos. But the idea of the, the nations of the world praising me, I don't like, that, that's not like uppermost on my mind when I think about Mashiach. But the point here is there's 70 nations of the world and we're the one. So if you're Usher, that's, that's the end goal. The, the whole point of Usher is to be able to connect that Aleph to the Ayin. So for Usher, his Geula is going to be that the 70 nations are going to praise you. All right. Let's, let's try to finish this off. With the letter Tzadik, right? The letter Tzadik. And we discussed about how um, the, the Targum Yonasan Ben Uziel seems to say that Usher's, Usher's um, the blessing Usher got, and really Usher's entire, like, like the, the core quality of Usher is his ability to make blessings on, on his fruit. There's a verse, and I don't know exactly where it is, but I, I know it's out there. Maybe you'll know. Tzadik ochel l'sova nafsho. A tzadik eats to satisfy his soul. That's what it says. It's, a, it's the characteristic of a tzadik to eat for full satisfaction. I think possibly what that means is there's a very beautiful uh, Bach in in, um, in Simon Reish Ches, that's Simon 208, where he writes how real satisfaction doesn't come from the physical part of the food. It comes from the the spiritual component of the food. And he writes, that's why we say uh, in Tuva, we become satisfied from the goodness. He says the goodness is the spiritual component of the food. If you look back at that Targum Yonasan, he says, They're going to praise God on the goodness of their peros. Okay, what that means is that Usher has this ability to connect to the spirituality within the food. And that satisfies them. Because true satisfaction comes from the spiritual component of the food. And we know that the verse tells us that you only make a blessing when you're satisfied, that's when you make the blessing. So true satisfaction only comes when you're able to connect and draw energy from the spirituality from within the food, and that's why they, over everyone else, are able to make that bracha of Birch Samazon to its fullest meaning, because the true meaning of that bracha is when it's a bracha on the spirituality of the food. And I think this also goes to the theme of Kolom Mosef Gorea, because if you eat beyond that, you're not going to be truly satisfied. Why not? Because eating more is actually eating less. The same way if you eat just a small crumb, you're not satisfied. If you eat tons of food, you're not going to be satisfied. Because kolham mosif gorea. But Usher, who manages to overcome the problem of kolham mosif gorea, uh, is able to be satisfied as a tzaddik ochel sovenafsho. So the letter of Shavad is going to be the letter tzaddik, because a tzaddik is the one who's able to have real satisfaction. Finally, um, the characteristic was of Shva was Le'ita, guzzling. Guzzling. Now, guzzling maybe, perhaps, means someone who eats too much. He just eats too much. And like Esav does. like Right? That's what Esav did. And so the, the Savior Tzira says that the Shchodesh Shva is a combination of the Tzadik with, with the Le'ita, with the, with the guzzling. Himlech os Tzadik beleita. The point is, we're trying to be misakin it. We're trying to, to repair, to fix what Esav did. 
we're trying to, again, connect the ayin with the aleph. Those that go overboard, those that are mosif and are goreah, we're trying to bring that back to the world of usher that's not mosif and not goreah. And that's why the tzaddik and the le'ita come together in the month of Shavuot. I know this last part was a little bit confusing. I myself am a little bit confused. But that's just what I got for you, Rabbi Obi. Well, what about the pale? I, I have an idea. So the pa- I have an idea. Okay, yeah, please tell me, because I myself am struggling with the pale. Why don't we leave it to the, to the listeners? We gave them, or you gave them, a lot to chew over, a lot to uh, digest. And now it's up to them to figure out how the pale, the delay, relates to all of this. What do you say about that plan? I think it's a great idea, because I'm, I'm kind of maxed out here. Uh, and I would love to hear from the, I always love to hear from the listeners. Um, they always seem to be a lot smarter than I am. Uh, and I would love to hear what they have to say about this mysterious pale that somehow makes its way into the month of Shvat. Well, thank you so much, Rabbi Botnick, for this incredible and exquisite take on this month. We learned a lot about the Aleph and the Ayin and the oil and the soul and Israel and the nations and the 70 languages. It was absolutely wonderful. It was incredible. It was very thought-provoking. And uh, please, God, we'll get together again for the month of Adar. If this was the month of Shvat, and we didn't even talk about Tuba Shvat, just uh, imagine how spectacular the month of Adar is going to be. Send your emails to... If you want to send me an email, uh, this is... I don't really know anything about this, but if you want to send me an email, rabbiwalbeijimba.com. And what is your email again, Rabbi Botnick? So as my last name is Botnik, it's B-O-T-N-I-C-K, followed by letters S and then M. So that would be like spaghetti meatball at gmail.com. Thank you so much, Robert Botnik, and we'll see you please God next month.